I'm Mike Gillis. And I'm Casey Doran. And this is Radio versus the Martians. Elliot's going to be old enough that Willow doesn't scare the shit out of him. I don't. Because oh. there are parts of it that are kind of. Well, I don't. Well, I don't know. It's hard it's to not say. Like, it's not like a Temple of Doom t- type scary. It's not like that. No, like, I remember no, no, being no, no. So it's fucking a, terrified. By there's that no heart shit. ripping. I mean, no. um, okay. So uh, your son is three, almost three, four. Three and a half. Okay, so three and a half. Yeah. Are we rounding up in terms of what he can handle in a movie? I'd say he's pretty. I mean, I'd say he's pretty good. I said the most. I mean, he saw Empire Strikes Back all the way through. He didn't seem to be phased too much. He was not phased at all by Optimus Prime's death in uh, Transformers the movie. That's because robots don't feel shit. Uh, he's just a okay. He, so he was a, he was very afraid of Jabba the Hutt's eyes. Aren't you? He, th- he thought they were. Yeah, they're he's fucking scary. He's like scary. Turn it off. He didn't like Jabba the Hutt's eyes. Jabba the Hutt is fucking scary. That actually is one of the best character reveals in movies. Yeah. That they'd said his you, name. Yeah, for- you kept hearing about him and hyping him up and being what kind of a what kind of a badass he is. And then he's this weird, gobby, yeah. doughy worm. Yeah, he's a gangster. So you assume it's gonna be like Marcellus Wallace or something. <laughs> but then it's like this slug who is eating these live giant shrimp things out of a bowl and they drop- look like more like frogs to me it looks like he was eating frogs like oh yeah it's just it's horrible yeah he is so fucking creepy it's one of the best puppets i've seen in almost anything i, I always want to know what is the deal with salacious crumb why does salacious crumb hang out with job of the hut okay so we he's, heard- he's got to be sentient right he oh, has that's he's, the he question. can speak he can speak can't he or is I- he like a dog that's the question. I don't know if he is a person or if he is a pet. They say he's like the court jester of Jabba's palace. <laughs> but I don't know if he's going... I don't know if that's language or if that's like him growling. That's just what like what a rabbit sounds like. Because he's sitting know? there. He's basically a naked little creature that sits around and sleeps on a pillow next to a gangster. Because that's like that's closer to like Reek, you know, the place that Theon Greyjoy was on Game of Thrones, where you've been reduced to that, where you live in the kennel, and that. You so Jabba eat- the Hutt killed all of Salacious Crumb's family and cut off his penis. And, yeah, uh, and then at one point he was like a sentient being with like a three-piece suit who came from a good family, <laughs> and he's been reduced to that. And then pretty soon he's just like jittering and yelling and laughing and occasionally chewing out a robot's eye. <laughs> Oh, man, that's really sad. We can give him a sad, tragic backstory. Oh, yeah. Or it is a Game of Thrones thing where he was a terrible person who went too far, and now he's getting a penance that nobody deserves. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think we're, I think the jury's still out on Salacious Crumb, to be Okay, sure. so, so Return of the Jedi, at least that moment was too scary for your son. Yeah, um, I, I, uh, uh, I think, I'm trying to think of what would be the scariest. There's some scary stuff in some Disney movies, like in uh, The Little Mermaid. Well, there we saw, is we saw oh uh, we yeah we saw the Little Mermaid okay that tunnel that is oh, in Ursula's cave all yeah those little shrivelly I forgot that those existed until I saw it and I was like oh it's is... disturbing yeah it's like body horror it's... those are all people <laughs> who've been reduced to that <laughs> we were talking about this earlier urban urban legends about we're talking about dread dreadlots because I uh, dreadlots we were talking about dreadlocks in high school someone had told me a story that there was someone who had grown. 
I think it was a girl, teenage girl, who had grown dreadlocks for 10 years, and they were, you know, down below her butt crack. And uh, she decided to get them cut one day, so she went to the barber, and they cut off one of the dreads, and there was a, there was a spider's inside. There were spider eggs, and it was a black widow spider. Oh, of course. And then they bit her, and she died. That, that's those kind of, like, made-up bullshit uh, rumors that only seem to exist in our era of high school, pre-internet. Sure. Like, there was always those, like, there's a code for Mortal Kombat that'll make all the characters naked. <laughs> <laughs> Remember that shit? And there would always be some kid who would claim to know it. And yeah, my uncle no- worked for Nintendo. Yeah, yeah, and it's always that bullshit. And it's it's always stuff like that. And it's amazing how I think the only equivalent of something like that in the modern era is like Slender Man. Yeah. And even yeah. everyone knows that Slender Man's not real. But it's just kind of an internet meme. But this is the idea that you could tell somebody that this entire massive video game or event or something existed. And that people would believe you because they had really no way of checking it because they're not going to write about this shit in the newspaper. Well, and then also that you're gullible in the way that teenagers and preteens are gullible. Oh, yeah. Like a lie that I was told when I was in junior high is there was a place in Renton, I think it was, or Auburn, I forget. I went there once, but it was a huge arcade and they actually had a virtual reality machine. Sweet. Um, It's... It's disappointing. Of I course. mean, there's, there's a kind of disappointing where <laughs> you have this idea in your head and then you have reality and you compare the two. And virtual reality games at that point, the only thing that has that same disparity of reality idea in my head and what I hope it is with the same level of massive disappointment is probably BattleBots. Oh, yeah. Where you, oh, yeah. you think, oh, my God, robots fighting each other. That sounds fucking amazing, rather than two Roombas bumping into each other. <laughs> and there's like a buzzsaw that just kind of skitters off of it. And you're like, wow, this is this is not what I wanted it to be. I wanted this to be more like the Transformers. <laughs> but uh, anyways, this guy used to tell me that this VR uh, system that they had at the Renton Arcade was way more advanced than anything I'd heard. And they had they they came up with this idea of this massive Spider-Man game where you could play like fifty characters and have all their powers and do all this crazy stuff, like oh I could be Green Goblin and I can fly and throw pumpkin bombs or I could be Spider-Man and do all this. And they made this elaborate game which is advanced even by modern open-world gaming standards. Mm. Mm. And they made it up, and I believed it because I was thirteen and I was stupid. <laughs> and of course, you go down there eventually, and none of this shit is there. And it's just a game where you walk around, where your character kind of moves, and it's the same kind of movement you had in the first, uh, uh, what is that game called? Resident Evil, where oh, you walk yeah. in a straight line, then you stop and you rotate to a right. different, and you walk forward. Right. I mean, it's that same kind a- of thing. A- Alone in the Dark had that problem, too, where you, yeah. have, a, you have a polygonal guy, it's terrible, and the there's nothing fluid or interesting about the movement. It looks like you're driving a human tank. Yeah, that no. the actual horror in the game and the scariness of the game comes from the fact that you can barely move. <laughs> And that if you could just move like a regular person, that you would be perfectly fine. Even if you could, uh, you know, even if you could get somebody to carry you, it would be better than what you have in those games. But yeah, that was what the game actually was. You walk around like that and you fired this gun that shoots the bullets in a weird over arc. Hmm. So you can't aim. 
Anyways, you're fighting some pterodactyl thing, and you oh, put. I've seen that one before. Yeah, you that put came, that exact one, or the same. I'm probably not the same machine. Came to the county fair, and you can watch it on the monitor as someone else is doing. And I was like, this is fucking lame. Yeah, the, the frame rate's super low, also, and it's just disappointing. And you, it gets built up in your head as virtual reality, which is why until the Oculus Rift stuff started happening, that I mean, virtual reality is like 3D movies where it had been mm. built up in your head as just like, oh, you mean disappointment, the movie. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, but yeah, there's that sort of shit that you believe, and I really believe that there's this advanced super video game, even though I had not heard of it anywhere. And you, that would be fucking news if mm. there was a Spider-Man game that did all of that stuff in the '90s. But there wasn't, and in the world of internet, and some kid who thinks this this classmate they have is just some bullshitter can just pull up on their phone and find out that they're lying. Right, right. Yeah, it's different. I, for for me, as it sounds like you, the arcade was definitely the epicenter of these types of disappointments. I can't tell you how many times, especially after, for some reason, Mortal Kombat. I don't know why it ended up starting at Mortal Kombat. I think there were some. There was a few sort of Street Fighter Two related, like oh, the developers. The programmers hit something cool in the game, but Mortal Kombat had all these things where they actually started hiding weird things in the games. You know, where like uh, you do something and the head goes out and it goes toasty. So you'd and, believe and, that there's stuff hidden. Well, there, there is, yeah. but there are precious few of them. So because there are, then the imagination goes wild, and I love it because this and the second Mortal Kombat two, um, they have lots of crazy little east more a lot more Easter eggs than the first one. Like they'll have characters in the background that aren't playable. One of them is Kano. Kano, as you may remember, is the like half cyborg face guy who pulls people's hearts out. He's he's awesome. I love Kano. He's in a background in a stage in the second one, but you can't actually play him. Um, in the options menu, and remind my kids, this is the arcade, so you had to get inside the game and flip a switch to go to the service menu to find this. Um, there is a list of stats that uh, rolls down on screen, and there's stats like how many quarters have been put in there, how long it's been, what the last update was. One of them was Kano sightings, and it's always zero. The counter never goes up because you can't actually play or see Kano. Some people said Shang Tsung can turn into Kano. And it's hilarious because the programmers are like, we'll add something in the menu that'll get the operators to, to circulate this rumor among the people, but it was never in the game. Yeah, that That's stuff great. Can't, it can't last anymore uh, yeah. because we're too aware of stuff. Because this was arguments that happened between like fourteen-year-old kids, where nowadays um, adults are part of this conversation. Or, right, and it's, it's, it's those fourteen-year-old kids now, twenty-five years later. Is what yeah, it is. and we yeah. can actually we're we're writing for websites that can actually get a hold of game developers and ask them that question, and they'll just admit that it's bullshit. <laughs> I mean, it's stuff like that that just doesn't happen anymore. But well, you know, the enemy here really isn't just isn't that kind of misinformation. The enemy now for us video gamers is just hype. Yeah, this is like this that never never has there been a time. We say this about comic books all the time. Never has there been a time when comic books have been greater for for everyone. People who are comic book lifers like you, or people who just like good stories like me, or people who just want to read one book like yeah i, w- I want to read preacher and that's it they've never been greater same thing with video games it's never been better than it is now oh there's so much stuff for more different sorts of people right. and more different sorts of people are going to video games that right. it isn't this tiny insular crowd and video uh i know comic books kind of stress against this sometimes but i think really that there's never been a better time to enjoy this stuff because it's not all the same then you have a right. lot of options, and I, I just, I think that we're kind of living in an age where 
it's more socially acceptable to like things as an adult that you liked mm-hmm. as a kid. Mm-hmm. Video games, comic books, all of this stuff. But it because of that, they have to meet an adult's level of scrutiny and rather than a kid's level of scrutiny. The downside of the this technological marvel we've constructed <laughs> is that now because we can uh through DLC and patches fix a game that you've already bought rather than force you to buy a new version of it mm. is that there's this level at which I think people think they can release an unfinished game or a game that's incredibly glitchy with the idea that we can hit this sales date, yeah, but that we don't have to fix things that break the playability or the enjoyability of the game, um, but we'll fix it later. It'll come. Don't worry. It'll come. Don't worry. You just spend $60 on this brick. And uh, now that you have it, don't worry, it'll be better later. And right. I think there's a lot of over-promising. The, that well, we the ecosystem know. is so different in that respect, right? Because as you said, there's when a game ships, in quotation marks, because now there's, there really isn't such a thing as a game shipping now because it's constantly being worked on. Um, it used to be that when a game ships, like I was just listening to Retronauts. It's uh, one of our, our friend, friends of podcasts, Bob Mackey, who has been on our show talking about Nintendo. They were talking about the game Fester's Quest. Oh, Fester from Adam's Family. This is a game that came out um, two years before the Adam's Family movie that everyone knows with Raul Julia. Uh, it came out two years before the movie, which is weird. That is weird. It, it has Fester as the main character, which is always he's he's known for having a light bulb in his mouth. That's kind of kind of a crazy character, but it's it's known for being just a classically awful Nintendo hard Nintendo game. Um, and the secret that I learned in it is it's because uh, they didn't program in a save or a password system. So when you die, you start all over from the very beginning, oh. which makes it just intolerable as a game. But that game sold something like over 500,000 copies. And for a Nintendo game at the time in 1989, that was like one of the most successful releases of the year. Um, so this is that it used to be in an ecosystem that um, because a game looks good and because it sort of has a has a uh, has a similar sort of gameplay style. um after something is shipped, it's gone, and then people will buy. It, and then people will buy it in droves, even if the experience is awful. But we have a better ability to find out whether a game is good or not before buying it that we didn't have back then. I mean, right. we could rent things from a video rental place, right? That's I true. I mean, that was one place. I mean, that's still kind of around. I mean, there are ways you can do. Isn't there I, like a Redbox for video games? I've seen every you so can, often. You can buy. You can get some of your the console games at Redbox for sure. But uh, you know, you can yeah. buy a used game. You can also look online nowadays and check out what people are saying, including watching them, you know, let's play a video. Right. You know, they go through the game and you know. can see if well, it's that's, terrible. That's not the that's not where I think the where I think the um sort of the difficulty is or the trauma is. The tr- the difficulty now is um that uh it's all about the hype because these are, you know, billions of dollars of releases now or hun- multiple hundreds of millions or in the case of the big ones like Grand Theft Auto, they're billions of dollars. Um like the thing is, is um, they hype up a game. They have these huge tens or hundreds of million dollar marketing budgets because they want people to buy the game before it comes out. And now they want people to buy the game and they, they don't want reviews to come out before the game has come out because they do not want to endanger the sort of the huge capital investment of having a game out. Um, and it's killed because they 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 try to stoke up this mega hype to be able to bolster up the pre-order sales, the pre-release sales, and it leads to these 
sort of gargantuan level disappointments where, yeah, they had a quote unquote successful launch. Um, but in reality, they gave you gar- the game that was garbage, and you hope that they're going to stick around long enough to patch out the things that are actually broken about it and it become playable. And this well, is it becoming a bigger and bigger issue. No Man's Sky being the most recent, you know, uh, uh, most example. Recent yeah. example. Yeah, but it's the same sort of thing as like Batman v Superman, is that yeah. you have this movie that yeah. it has a huge opening weekend, because how could you not when it has both Batman and Superman's name in the title? in the epicenter of this like superhero bubble that we're in right now, that superheroes are bigger than ever. So a movie that finally teams up two DC characters together, the two biggest DC characters together, plus has Wonder Woman in it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, how could that not make money? But then there was like a 75% drop in the next weekend's mm-hmm. ticket sales. Right. That's ridiculous. So yeah, you can say I successfully launched that movie. But unless people actually like it and go back to it, I mean, that was the thing with The Force Awakens was that it wasn't just that it did well because it's Star Wars. It did well, plus people liked it enough to go back multiple times. And if you can't sell multiple tickets to the same viewer, then you're just going to get diminishing returns every time. And it seems like nowadays there's a lot of things that get released just to make that immediate money. And if they don't make it in that first weekend, they're fucked because they know they won't get more. Right. Yeah, we're we're orthogonal to the topic here, but I saw Doctor Strange, and you saw Doctor Strange before yeah. we were at the Jet City Comic Con last weekend, and we were talking about it. And I will say, very pleasantly surprised, I liked Doctor House Wizard Magician. Yeah, battle, battle Doctor House Battle Mage. I <laughs> love Doctor yeah. House Battle Mage, and I and I really do. I mean, not, I I'm not a devotee of the comic, so I don't. Um, the Ancient One. Being not being a Tibetan or whatever doesn't affect me. It makes me really, really like Tilda Swinton even more. Oh. She just keeps getting more and more interesting to me. She's probably the best person for that role. I know there's a lot of people that are upset about that, but there really was no winning. I mean, if we're going to look at it, you can say it's whitewashing, but at the same time, uh, one, you want your movie to open in China. That's one possibility, so you're not going to have a Tibetan character. Right. But also the fact that the Tibetan old sage that the white guy goes to get uh, you know, guidance from is also a trope that probably hasn't aged incredibly well. Of course. So, I mean, if you had done it the traditional way, as they did in the comics, that would have been problematic, too. Mm-hmm. So I think all you can do is sort of split the middle and say, well, what if we gender swap this character? And, hey, we have this great actress who has that same kind of otherworldly quality that Benedict Cumberbatch has. Sure. And I think she's wonderful in the movie. She's I, one of the highlights. I think it. I think it, it belies the... I mean, you could have people, the people who were saying, like, you know, uh, the casting for Rogue One is, oh, it's all, you know, it's all just, just, you know, minority people being there because they want to hit different demographics or whatever. No, you look at something like Tilda Swinton's character as the ancient one in Doctor Strange and you realize that it didn't matter whether or not she was a woman. It was just, it was the character. It was about her character traits is that she was uh, arrogant and, uh, you know, she was the leader, but, um, she needed to help recruit Doctor Strange to fight on the side of good, and it didn't. the The fact that her she could the character could have been a male, yeah, it could have been a male. It it wasn't, and it didn't matter. I think it was great that they used a woman too, though. I think that um, well, I mean, it shows you it shows you that it was about the caliber of the actor who could create the character. Oh, absolutely, not about needing to be slavish That's... to any idea about what the. You know, you the just find you find the right actor and you fight the right role, and yeah. I, it doesn't really matter that those things. I think that if you have an opportunity to go outside of another white dude, you go for it. But 
I think you do it in the Fast and the Furious sort of way. And of course, this mm. is two white guys talking about race right now. Mm-hmm. So we're gonna solve. Oh, well. Let's solve this shit. Let's yeah. Let's let's just say that we love the Fast and the Furious. But I think the thing the Fast and the Furious did really well was that it it was diverse. It never made a big thing out of it. And you were like, wait a minute, there's only one white dude, right? And it doesn't matter. And I think that sometimes you just. Just do it. Be the change you want to see in the world. <laughs> Just do yes, it. Yes, Marvel. Yeah. Are you listening? I mean, I mean, if you look at the, the Avengers over the course of these movies, too, I mean, the new Avengers team that we saw at the end of Age of Ultron that went into Civil War didn't last a long time, but right. it was far more diverse than the original team. I think, what was it that Matt Goodman said, that the most diverse member of that cast was the Australian Thor. Right. <laughs> right. So, I mean, it was all, you know, white dudes and, and one white lady. But if you see the... Hey, hey, there was a green guy in there. The green guy. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's representation. No, well, on, on a final point on, uh, on the Doctor Strange's, I do love movies that, at least part of it, is trying to sell an acid trip. Yeah. I love it. Yeah, I, I think love it. it was kind of a crazy prog rock kind of cover to it. And you right. saw it in the um, the soundtrack. Yep. Um, I really enjoyed it. I think that it kind of played the same basic plot beats that you saw with Iron Man. Yeah. Where sort of a yeah. jerky character um, has to um, see his life fall apart and rebuild himself as a better man. But I think that the performances of both Benedict Cumberbatch and Tilda Swinton were incredibly strong. Mm-hmm. Um, I forget the name of that one actor. He's got an uh, African name that I can't pronounce, but I've seen him. He was like in the Quad Quad Quidjipfel Etufor, I believe. Is oh, he's great. Yeah, I he's, really he's, I enjoy good. him quite a bit. He was the villain in the uh, Firefly movie, uh, uh, Serenity. Yep, he's great in that. Um, he just has a great presence. I'm I'm actually happier at him becoming apparently the villain of the next movie because uh, he, well, one, Baron Mordo is uh, the archenemy of Doctor Strange, but uh, that we can actually have a good villain in a Marvel movie because it seems like they're hard to come by. This villain, played by Mads Mikkelsen, who I love, Mads Mikkelsen, I think he's amazing, didn't give him a whole lot to do. He just kind of gets to be like a cult worshiper of a a dark god from yeah. another dimension and he doesn't he does you don't give him very much i think that uh, he was just he was very underwritten yeah. that i wanted more of that i mean this is a complaint we had about star trek beyond is that we wanted more of the villain right to to bolster up the themes of the movie N- not a jack nicholson level overwritten jack nicholson no. is joker level where he becomes the whole movie and he starts saying things like i'm of a mind makes a mookie yeah where they're clearly at a certain point tim burton's just like roll the camera let jack do whatever he wants, wants yeah <laughs> but i i really think that uh yeah, but with, they the, needed, yeah. with the exception of like Loki and the Netflix Marvel villains, you know, people like, you know, Cottonmouth and Wilson Fisk and uh, Kilgrave, those were all great villains, but they were also given an entire season to get material to, to write themselves. Right. Uh, Loki's the only movie one. And I think to a lesser extent, Ultron is a lot of fun because he's still kind of snarky, creepy James Spader. Mm-hmm. which is a lot of fun mm-hmm. as a robot. Um, I think that's neat. But in the end, um, it's basically, well, what if James Spader was Skynet? Yeah, um, yeah. But James Spader's great. I think a lot of that, and we just haven't had a lot of opportunities for villains to be that great. Um, I do think Doctor Strange has the best 
defeat the big bad guy plan yes. of any of these movies. So I definitely would not want to spoil it for any no. of our viewers because it's because yeah, I mean you you there is a way that superhero movies end yeah. about the hero being victorious and this finds a way of doing it in a way that I have not seen before and that is rare. That's yeah. very rare. It was great because it played into the character's character arc mm-hmm. and the the thing that they had to overcome, their personal flaw. It was also clever and done in a way that made sense and had been set up by the movie that he uses a ploy that he had actually used earlier for something else. And you're like, oh. And it also made sense because Doctor Strange, as powerful as he is, is not going to get in a direct one-on-one fight with like an elder god. Right. So he's he's strong, but he's also clumsy in this too. And I I like that part of it too, is that he... He's arrogant as a, as a as a human, or he's still a human, but as a non wizard, he's sort of some guy who's arrogant and who only thinks about himself and believes in his abilities because he thinks he can do everything perfectly. And of course, when he's thrust into this new world that is that doesn't line up with sort of his expectations of what reality is, he is a novice again and he's totally clumsy. And I love watching Benedict Cumberbatch is great, just stumbling through some of that shit. It's good, but I do love the the idea that you know the things that made him a good doctor, like an amazing doctor, a photographic memory, an ability right. to study, translate over. But he's still out of his element, and he still doesn't understand that he just has to get the knowledge. He's just pouring this stuff into his brain. And uh, seeing this character grow, I I like Doctor Strange quite a bit, and I want to see him in more Marvel movies. Yeah, me too. Me too. So, um, speaking of movies, yeah, uh, we got to get this out because it's been germinating for quite some time. Yeah, I've been uh, kind of coming up with a pitch for you know when you come up with a fake movie for your friend's benefit and amusement. (laughs) But the more I talk about this, the more I want it to be a real movie, and I started casting it. Um. And it came out of a joke because I work at a used bookstore and we got a copy of the Battleship movie on DVD in. Oh. And that movie is just... Do they say they sunk my Battleship in that? Of course they don't. (laughs) Because that would, one, be actually kind of fun. But no, it's one of those things where they take something that's stupid and be over-serious about it, but not fun about it. Mm. And you try to make a serious movie despite the fact that you are making a movie based on a Milton Bradley board game. Right, and they just did... Like a Ouija board movie, too. Yeah, Ouija also, board the movie. Yeah. yeah, for entertainment purposes only. <laughs> but yeah, the the bit that, that gets me with that is just how you could do a battleship movie with without doing those two things. One is the line, you sunk my battleship, like you mentioned. And the other one is, if you're going to be fighting aliens, at least have the ba- aliens looking down at some sort of console or pop-up 3D um, of course. A thing of the battlefield. Of course And you with do. little red and white pegs on it. <laughs> <laughs> to say where they've been hitting and missing. That would have been great. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was thinking, well, you know, I could do a video game based on a classic, or a movie, I'm sorry, yep. based on a classic board game. Sure. And I thought, it's already got the perfect title, Hungry, Hungry Hippos. <laughs> and I was thinking that what you really needed to do was to grab up Peter Jackson or Sam Raimi, but I'm going to say Peter Jackson, sure. and bring him back to his roots, which is sort of that sort of R-rated splatterfest absurdity where there's kind of a slapstick to it, but it's played internally straight where you have something like Dead or Alive or Bad Taste or something where everything is just fucking bonkers, but it's really, really bloody. And we're talking a horror movie, and what I have in mind, like, who do we have for the lead for something like this? And I come back to one that I just keep casting yeah, and everything. Yeah, saying over and over again. The common denominator of every dream cast that I will probably do from ever – you know, is, is of course Dwayne the Rock Johnson. 
So I was um, like, okay, how do I, I, I... Oh, I thought you were going to say Jackie Mason there for a second. Go go no. on, go on. Oh, I think Jackie Mason is dead. <laughs> or he should, Don't tell me that. Or he should be. Um, I think he's a piece of shit these days anyways. But anyways, that aside, um, the idea I had in mind was that there is a... I guess you could say Jurassic Park style. Dude, um, he's still alive. <laughs> yeah, he's still alive. It's, it's just, just his career that's dead. Yes, go on. So we have uh, The Rock is sort of a Steve Irwin type um, naturalist and television personality. Of course. And, you know, always wearing the khaki and the shorts. And he runs and co-owns a hippo a wildlife preserve and is the world's expert on hippo behavior. He's the Stevie Irwin for hippos. Basically. Oh yeah, he is. Right. He is the uh, hippo hunter, yes. <laughs> a hippo whisperer, <laughs> and uh, he wants people to understand how interesting and awesome hippos are, but also how dangerous they are. Mm-hmm. And this is actually a real life thing, so you can put that like bullshit anaconda uh, text at the beginning of your movie, ta- <laughs> you know, hyping up how dangerous this animal is. Because they overturn boats and they eat people to death. And, of course, you watch a cartoon and you just play in their teeth like a xylophone. <laughs> and you think they're just big, goofy, chubby animals. <laughs> but they will fuck you up, son. I, well, and- I think the, credit, the, uh, the, the initial credit crawl should be read by Clancy Brown. Clancy the, the, Brown. The Kiergan. <laughs> Kiergan? Sure. Uh, and uh, <laughs> what we, we sort of have happen is that uh, the, the co-owner of this hippo preserve would be played by our favorite, mm-hmm. Paul Giamatti, mm-hmm. who, of course, is trying to, to cut corners by not having the sort of security to keep these hippos in as he probably could afford. Of course, The Rock is fighting this, saying you don't understand how dangerous these animals are. Maybe have a scene at the beginning, like in Jurassic Park, with the raptor claw and that bratty kid <laughs> where he's got a hippo tusk. But I think the way to do it is just to play it as straight as possible, but make it as stupid and fun as possible. Sure. And um, I don't know. What do we have for the catalyst? Maybe like a meteor comes from space and lands in the water. Yeah. I'm thinking some kind of 28 days later style bloodborne rage virus. Yeah. And Hippos Go Berserk, which is actually the name of a children's book. Hippos Gone Berserk. Uh, If I don't get the rights to Hungry Hungry Hippos, (laughs) I will buy the book rights to Hippos Go Berserk. But... um, I think it's Sandra Boynton who will not sign those rights over oh, to Sandra me if I Boynton. describe what I'm making the movie about. Yeah. Um, but anyways, um, we got we got rage hippos sure. who are going fucking crazy. And at the same time, The Rock is leading a group of high school kids on a field trip. And this isn't going to be like the usual field trip we get in a PG-13 movie. They're going to get some teenagers fucking ripped limb from limb. Right. Well, I think the problem is, is that Paul Giamatti has been cutting back on the budget for the for the food, and that's why oh, they're starting to, to get uh, these are gra- some grouchy and and, and hungry, and hungry, hung- and hungry. <laughs> there's got to be there's got to be a moment of terror when some it's when Paul Giamatti realizes they're they're hungry, hungry hippos, <laughs> and there's got to be that scene where they surround him and go dum 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 with their necks. <laughs> Jumping in from the middle to gobble him up from all sides. Of course, of course. You got to have that moment. Maybe he's holding a bunch of beach balls, so you really have them <laughs> bouncing around. No! Or he's trying to placate them with like melons or yeah, water. Yes, of course. So it's got to go up in the air and look like the game briefly. <laughs> and I'm thinking that uh, there's got to be at least one scene where The Rock, in slow motion, jumps and punches a CGI hippo in the face. <laughs> 
And again, this movie has to be bloody. Yeah. And, I mean, we're going to have some really good animatronics in it, but also, you know, CGI is inevitable for the way you want them to move. But you really got to bring back squibs. You got to bring back some practical effects of hippo get... squibs. Oh, so many hippo squibs. Yeah. Um, yeah. They've got to probably get to some sort of ammunitions locker, even though it doesn't make sense that there is one. There <laughs> always has to be something with like rocket they launchers. Have, they have, they have blunderbusses, you know. <laughs> oh, there, yeah. oh, there's got to be, there's got to be a, there's got to be someone who just happens to have in their office an antique elephant gun. You know, and they're like, you know, they got it. They got to get it. We need this. Is there going to be a way we could get Key and Peel in this movie in some place? Of course. Yeah. Probably as a couple of cops, I'm thinking, <laughs> who are called in or like, oh, my God, it's carnage. <laughs> I think they could be game for something like this. And they're funny even when they play serious. So I, I, I want this movie to be made. Yeah. Let's do it. It's, we got to write a congressman or something. Yeah. Yeah. We're entering into Harvey an age. Weinstein, if you're listening. Yes, yeah, seriously. we got to get somebody to make this movie. <laughs> if we can get our Peter Jackson uh, gore fest, Hungry Hungry Hippos movie with Dwayne The Rock Johnson. Um, H3, summer 2020. Oh, seriously. And I think you could have a parody of like the Jaws poster with a hippo coming up. <laughs> I, I had pitched before that uh, there should be like Deep Blue Sea and there should be a character that's just talking and in the middle in the middle of the the hippo just comes out and goes and he eats him (laughs) oh of course let me see who do we who do we get in that that would be is that a john voight role oh i'd I'd love it yes i'd absolutely love it if john voight got eaten oh man there's so many things you can do with this movie but i really think you just got to get uh peter jackson say dude this is what we want sure each death has to get more comical and ridiculous you know like an evil dead thing oh yeah we have to have at least some some level of absurdity we love some absurdity mixed in with our gore i love there's that bit in deep blue sea where ll cool j is running up that ladder (laughs) and he's got that parrot that's always flying around with him Because I guess he's a pirate, <laughs> but that shark jumps up and eats his parrot in midair. <laughs> it's like you know, LL Cool J has probably got a lot more calories and is probably tastier than that parrot. Sure, but it fucking looks great. Sure, you got to you got to eat that parrot. All right, I'm I'm on board for it. I'm on okay, board. can we make this happen, people? Can, yeah, let's do can it. We do this. Do you want to see a hungry, hungry hippos gore fest movie? Because I really do. We'll, we'll start a Kickstarter campaign for thirty million dollars, and uh, oh, how, oh, if it's CGI, hundred million dollars. Oh, we're affording the rock. And the, oh, three hundred million dollars yes, exactly. <laughs> How much does a rock cost nowadays? <laughs> because automatically, he's he's going to give us some box office money, and who doesn't want to see Dwayne Johnson punch a hippo? Not I. Not me. Radio vs. the Martians is produced by Mike Gillis and Casey Doran. Our editor was Mike Gillis. Our theme music was written and performed by Todd Maxfield Matsumoto. Find us online at RadioVersusTheMartians.com and send us your feedback at info at RadioVersusTheMartians.com. If you want to win the game, you got to take a good aim and get the most marbles with your hippo. Playing Hungry Hungry Hippos. Hungry Hungry Hippos. Hungry Hungry Hippos is the name of the game. And whosoever hippo gets the most marbles wins. Playing Hungry Hungry Hippos. Hungry Hungry Hippos. I win. Hungry Hungry Hippos from Hasbro.